Hello, I'm John Kelly and this is a podcast of Mystery Train. For rights reasons, the music is shorter than in the original programme. Mystery Train hits the rails Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on RTE Lyric FM. Cohen there and Sisters of Mercy and this is Mystery Train, the Sunday night special the night we get uh, someone in to pick the tracks and tonight I'm uh, delighted to say it's one of the most famous nuns on the, the, the planet but that's not all she is Siobhan McSweeney, Siobhan great to have you here <laughs> uh, Lovely to be here, thank you And, and do you, you probably don't like being introduced as one of the most famous nuns on the planet <laughs> uh, No, I, I've grown to love it now, I mean it's it's uh, what, what, what did Wilde say Worse, what, what's worse than been talked about has not been no. talked about. <laughs> what what was your, now? What was your full title in Derry Girls? What were you What were you known as? Did you Did you Did you have your full proper religious title spelled out for you? I don't think so. Actually, it was only just Sister Michael. Was she a mother superior? In fairness, I mean, she's very young, isn't she? <laughs> I mean, she's very beautiful, really, very beautiful, <laughs> yes. talented. It's it's an absolute waste that she's a nun. Um, <laughs> and do you know what order she was? God knows. No. no, I'd say she doesn't know or care herself no. either. No, she's got a very. She has a very very pragmatic way of looking at her vocation. I think. It I, is. I think we should return to Sister Michael later on. The <laughs> well, simply because you know, it's 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 a part. I know. It's a, I know it's a comedy and so on, but a lot of us have known the nuns over the years and, you know, you need to get it right in some ways. So yeah. we, we can talk about all that as time goes on. Grand. We have a lot of time. Good stuff. But uh, leaving aside uh, Sister Michael, mm. Siobhan McSweeney is from where? She's from Arhala in County Cork, which is halfway between Cork City and McCroom. Right. Yeah. And what does that what does that mean? Is it is it is it a village, a small town, a rural yeah. area? Well, when I when I was growing up there, it was very rural. Um, and now these days, it's become almost a uh, a satellite village. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. the estates have happened, right. um, and people live in the estates, and yeah, um, and it's far more populated now, which is which is great. Uh, but it's a uh, it's an ex- it's it, it, it's sort of occupying that weird. Ghost land in in Ireland now. You, you, it's it's not a village. Well, it was originally a very very small village. Well, it was a crossroads really, but it's now a place. It's not a place. Graduated. <laughs> place, place dumb. Yeah. And uh, what what sort of a house did you grow up in? Grow up in. I mean, was it a house in the country as such, with with a yard, or was it in a little street, or what? Um, it was it was one of those. What, what do they call a bungalow blight? Yes. It was just uh, a lovely. Little bungalow off one of the small roads there. We had neighbours. It wasn't like uh, clinging onto the side of a mountain or anything. It, it 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 wasn't that rural, but we were surrounded by farms and yeah, and uh, and things like that. Yeah. And did you have notions early on of? Oh, uh, I had notions from yeah. day one. But did you have notions early on about <laughs> about, about a, a appearing on on the, on the on the stage or the screen? Um, I think so. Yeah, I suppose you don't know how to articulate it, really, in a way. About, uh, of being seen, I think. You you wanted to be seen? Yeah. (laughs) I know, yeah, it sounds... um, Noticed or seen? Is that different? I don't know. I don't know, is that different? Maybe I mean of of being noticed. I, I, I did want, 
when I'd look at things on television, I did know that that's what I wanted to do. Ah, right. But I wouldn't have been able, I didn't know what that was. I remember, like, for example, do you remember um, Tops of the Town or yeah, something? Yeah. yeah. Watching that and being absolutely mesmerised by the curtains. <laughs> Just couldn't get over the curtains. Wanted to look at the curtains all the time. I and mean, even now, when I see those red velvet curtains, I'm like, oh, yeah. this is it. Um, and there's, uh, it's very hard to explain. I, I think, you know, when I, <laughs> uh, when I explain it to other performers, really, they, they, they understand what yeah, I mean. It's yeah. sort of, um, it's a weird secret or some yearning. But you see, I, I could try and break that down into some kind of, you know, was it what they call a theatrical bug or was it an urge to be or a desire to be famous or was it to get noticed by, I don't know, your friends or you know what I mean there's different levels I know that, completely there? yeah paging Dr. Freud I I don't know like there's I think I mean fame didn't come into it at all sure what what did that what does that mean when you're a child yeah, you know yeah being on the telly though equates Be, to it doesn't it no it was it was more about playing yeah being able to play yeah. um and to be noticed yeah I think there's something in that actually somebody told me once that all male rock stars are basically shouting from the stage look at me ma Oh, come here. Yeah. Not only them. We're all at it. And I think, I think to a certain extent, I mean, without sounding a bit pretentious, but isn't that what all art is? Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I exist. Yeah. Screaming against the abyss in a way, you know, isn't it? Of course, it's a bit early for that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, well. back to comedy nuns. <laughs> okay. And back to your first musical choice. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is what? Which is, oh, yes. What's the, we'll go with Blue Boy, so then. Remember me. Now, this... I was just saying to you earlier, like this list, I agonised over it and then I gave up, <laughs> no. which, which is exactly how I work on anything really, you know. <laughs> um, so these are just sort of almost post-it notes for yeah. a period of time or things. Yeah, it's, it's not just this song, but this song for me represents as a Cork woman what is contractually an obligation for us to mention Sir Henry's. <laughs> In the 90s. Even if you weren't there, you were there, you know. Yeah. Um, no, uh, th- this is the back bar in Henry's dancing and dancing and dancing and dancing. And I could have played any song. Uh, I, I mean, it's not just Blue Boy, it could have been Pavement or, or anything. The, 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 the variety of music there was, was insane. But it's just that little moment of time of jumping up and down, sweat dripping off the ceiling, you're... Baggy trousers, filthy, and your carling XL nearly you empty, you but you're letting it last picture the entire night. Of the place, I must say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Imagine we paid to go in there. Yeah. Um, no, really, Good really times, wonderful. Eh? Exactly. Good times. So dance around. Remember me, uh, Blue Boy, the Shearer's Pure remix there. The first choice tonight of Siobhan McSweeney, who's with me in studio, picking all the tracks tonight. Siobhan, you were talking about that being in Sir Henry's. Mm. Now, when you were you were in Cork at that period, and I'm thinking of other guests we've had on this programme. Kevin Barry was in, Killian Murphy was in, picking music, and they talk about the same places in, in Cork as you'd be talking about. But I'm just wondering about that. what period you were there. For instance, was Killian Murphy... Uh, on the scene, Corkadorka, their first productions, which was a big thing in Cork. Were you around for all that? I was, yeah. Um, Killian was in, I, I, I don't know him um, at all. I think he was uh, a year, or maybe we were the same year in UCC, but um, we didn't know each other. 
Um, but Kirk Darker was up and running and I was in youth theatre at the time and of course seeing Disco Pigs with himself and Eileen <gasps> and, uh, and and all that. Everybody yeah. talks about that as being kind of a remarkable moment, you know, Disco Pigs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I certainly thought it was. Um, I Yeah, it was the first time that I saw theatre that I felt... Well, first of all, it was cool. Yeah. Uh, secondly, sort of had something to say. It wasn't putting on funny accents. It was an accent I understood. Yeah. Yeah, and it it was it was purely theatrical as well, not just something that you were going. Oh, it's almost like something you'd see on the telly. And and the, the you know the the sort of the history will tell you that, and I'm sure it's correct that sort of everybody went to see it. It wasn't just you know the theatre crowd that went. Yeah. It caught on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, like, I mean, I remember, uh, sure, we all look back and and sort of remember what we want, don't we? And then expand on it. But, you know, there was no sort of uh, limit. If you you weren't just into music, you weren't just into drama, you weren't just... People, you know, seemed to go to everything, really, you know. But you were in a youth theatre at that stage. I was, uh, yeah. And what what was that called? Uh, Activate. Uh, So Graffiti... Um, theatre TIE down in Cork which is still running they had a youth theatre called uh, Activate uh, so Geraldine O'Neill uh, ran it and she was wonderful she, so it would be a lot of theatre games a lot of improvisation a lot yeah. of stuff where you're because it was youth theatre you, you know you weren't going into rehearsals and, and, and doing your, your performance yeah. and matinees or anything it was the idea of playing really you know yeah. and and the bravery of playing yeah. and the abandon of playing and uh, just doing little improvs and little scenes, loads of other things as well. But sure, I was too busy having fun to even think what it was at the time. I just yeah. wanted to launch into the next thing, you know. And had you connected up the dots to what you'd said earlier about watching, you know, Tops of the Towns and so on? <laughs> like in the curtains, like in the stage, like in the lights and yeah. whatever glamour might be perceived to be yeah, there. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Were you starting to think this this could be it? Oh, I, I, I knew it was it. Yeah. I just didn't think that I could do it. Right. I I I, uh, I didn't think I'd be allowed to do it. Why not? Um, my my family, I think mm-hmm. the expectations of my family. Um, my parents were quite aspirational, I suppose, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Um, they put a great focus on my academic life. Yeah, and had basically given me an amazing education in order I'd. You know, they showed me the world with the fabulous education they gave me. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, you know, with the world, they showed me everything. Yeah. And uh, I think I broke their heart, really, when I decided to go to, to drama school. After five years of, of being in UCC, not doing biochem. <laughs> oh, so you didn't complete your course? Oh, no? I did complete it. Oh, you did? Well, that's I did all right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because when I was a kid saying I wanted to be a footballer, yeah. you know, when I was eight, my father would point at Steve Highway, who played for Liverpool, and he'd say, that guy's got a degree. Right. So it was kind of, you know, get your qualifications, you can yeah. do whatever you like after that. No, th- th- that, that would imply a dialogue. There was, <laughs> yeah. No, there was, there was no such thing. Yeah. No, I was sent, I mean, in a way, it's, I, well, in a lot, it's all their fault. Blame the parents. You know, when I was younger, mum asked if I wanted to do piano lessons or speech and drama. And I said piano lessons and she sent me to speech and drama, yeah, you know. Yeah. God knows what would have happened if she'd sent me to, to piano lessons. But during speech and drama, 
you know, that opened up everything. Standing up and doing a Yeats poem at six. I mean, hello, what are you meant? That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, the die was cast then, I think. Mm. And instead of it just as, as she wanted, uh, just that I'd become a confident, articulate young woman. <laughs> Look at me now, ma. Um, uh, instead, I just got this great love for performing and showing off. Terrific. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Um, your next musical choice, The Slits. Oh, talk about showing off. Yeah. yeah. Now this, I mean, anybody can remember The Slits. Mm. They, you know, uh, what year was it? I mean, 1979. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, the age I was when I saw pictures of the slits in, I don't know, NME or whatever it was, I would have been utterly confused by yeah. these uh, half-naked women. Yeah, savages. Yeah, but not not uh, being erotic or anything. No. They weren't, they weren't uh, you know, they weren't putting out that message. They were just, they just looked crazy mm-hmm. and terrifying. Yeah. And nowadays with Verve Albertine, you know, writing books and so on, it's it's been assessed as a big feminist statement. But you weren't thinking that at the time, were you? Or did you notice something going well, on? Well, I mean, I I came ov- obviously to them much later on. And I came from, you know, listening to The Clash, actually, mm-hmm. and and Joe Strummer, and then fi- reading about it, and this the, this band's name and Ari, Ari Up kept, kept being mentioned in the books. So I started to discover them through that. And, I mean, like any great feminist statement isn't done no great statement is done to be a statement. They sure. were what I loved about it is that in a very masculine genre that mm. I adored, mm. I didn't know, you know, we all love Patty, but you know, Patty gets all the love. Yeah. <laughs> she's grand, she's fine for love. Um and and I I wanted I wanted something a bit more um less iconoclastic really, more more feral, more girlish. And these fitted perfectly. Um, they truly didn't give a damn and they tried everything they they like I can't remember what song it's just a spoon being dropped on a saucer you know it's not they're not going for the three minutes they're not going for the hook they're not going for the catchy chorus mm. I mean if that's what comes out that's what comes out but they're 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 improvising they're DIY they're oh we have a spoon let's bang something with a spoon you know I love that yeah, the and re- that's the true the punk. actual punk ethic yeah work. exactly okay here's the slits so tough So tough there from the slits, the choice of Siobhan McSweeney, who's with me in studio tonight. We were just talking about that. and We probably should have been talking about it on on <laughs> air. But, but you know, you were talking about how important it was uh, as a woman to, to look on stage and see people and identify artists and think, that's that's me up there. That's me. That's, that's who I c- could be. Whereas I was making the point that if some years before that, if you're a boy and you're into rock bands, the people you were looking up to you couldn't have you couldn't have been those people. You couldn't have been David Bowie. You couldn't be Phil Lynott. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They they had better clothes. They had different clothes. They looked different. Whereas yeah. whereas the, the in the punk era and all that, you know, they they you, you could you could be a version yeah. of one of those people. Well, the, the the gap between the the height of the stage and the audience got got smaller and True. smaller. You know, yeah. you have Strummer opening the window and going, "Come on in, lads." Yeah. To to the audience, that's yeah. sort of egalitarian. I'm very very suspicious of any. Um, deification. Very, yeah. very suspicious of it. <gasps> Any pedestal, yeah, no yeah. thanks. I know, but, but when I when I looked at the cover of um of of that Slits album, it wasn't so much there I am. It's more, you know, there's a bit of me. Yeah, and it's it's that mirror being shown back to you, isn't it? Yeah. And it's um, yeah. 
I don't I don't have to feel uh, not that I do, but you know, you were saying the only other time you saw bare chested ladies would be, let's say, on page it's three or page something. Page three type situation. I mean, yeah, uh, you, you know, you, you you can to then look at that and as a woman sort of go, or as a young woman, as a girl to go, yeah, that's that's more like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's and it's funny. This is only to my in, to my knowledge only being discussed now. Yeah. Now maybe maybe there have been people discussing this for years, and I'm sure there have. But I think we're all learning a lot in recent times, and and and, and looking back over things like this has been quite important, really important at the time, you know. Truly. But I, I just think there's a lot that fellas didn't know or didn't realise. Oh, I, I, I agree. Now they're being, now and they're continue being, to. I know, know. <laughs> I know. I know that, but now we're 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 being taught. You know? Well, n- now now you're being asked to listen. Yeah. 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 But there are a lot of voices to listen to. I don't I don't envy envy lads at the moment. I mean that there's a limit to my sympathy in fairness. Maybe pay me the same as you and then then I'll <laughs> I'll give you all my sympathy. But uh but but there are a lot of voices to listen to and it is quite overwhelming and if you've been promised the world and suddenly you've been asked to perhaps shove over on the yeah. shove over in the bed. Yeah. It's going to be scary and I understand all that, but you know. But, but a lot of those cultural things that people talk about now, you know, particularly in pop culture, like the Slits or Patti Smith or all these people that uh, you mentioned, the Breeders and, you know, Pixies and anywhere, anywhere there was a woman on the stage, you know. Um, woman! I'm, uh, but I'm not, I'm not sure that, well, I know, blokes weren't seeing it the same way. No. They weren't understanding the significance of it. And, no, uh, but so they that's understood. why I wonder, was it being discussed, you know? I don't know, but like, I mean... You, you, you understood the difference between, like you, you got um, when you saw that album cover. Yeah, you know, you, you you understood that that was on page three. Absolutely, yeah. And but I also, but I also, I also suspected I shouldn't have it in the house. All oh, right. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it was still, a, it was still a half naked woman. Yeah. Even yeah, though yeah. she was covered in mud and she wasn't actually trying to appeal to me no. at all. You know, know, whatever, whatever vibe was coming off them. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't for you. No. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, your next musical choice is the theme to the famous five. So (laughs) please explain where we're going with this. Um, Well, as I said initially, all these all these um, tunes are like post-it notes as or little um, little reminders or something. And this. Um, this piece of music, even though it's a theme tune and it's it's not doused in nostalgia, I'm not like, oh, remember Glen Row or whatever. There's something about that theme tune that is so evocative, so evocative, more so than any other thing I can think of. And, you know, it's Proustian. It, it brings me right, right back. It's myself and my brother mm. running around the place Um it's Enid Blyton. It again, you know. It's you, 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 we had a dog. You know, it just it was perfect, and and it's very hard to put in words the feeling that I get when I listen to it. Mm. But uh, it's strong. Lashings of ginger beer, right? Short but glorious. There you are. <laughs> You were, you were, as soon as that, as soon as that kicked in, Siobhan, you were like, you were away. I, I totally was, yeah. Yeah. It's a good point you make, because you know, everybody comes in here every week with their, with their Joni Mitchell and their Bob Dylan and their Leonard Cohen, but really that's the one that means most to that's you. That's that, listen, if it, it's, if it's not George and Timmy the dog, I don't know, I don't know what it even is. Wow. So, idyllic lifestyle in Cork. I, I, lashings and lashings. No, um, 
of course not idyllic, but that sort of um, that that freedom that the fame, you know, you just yeah. go off and you wander. It's lovely. It's <gasps> lovely. And also, I I was a bit of a boring indoors kid, so I read voraciously. So that was well. What what were you reading? Everything. Yeah. Everything. 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 I'd be brought to the library. I mean, I it's more testament to probably my lack of social skills that I read so much rather than being some some genius. But I, I would be brought to the library and my dad would send me back unless the books were of a certain thickness because I'd have them read by the time we'd, he'd have driven home. <laughs> I just read everything. Yeah. And uh, got to a point when I was about 13, I started reading everything in the house and mum would start giving me books and eventually she threw crime and punishment at me you know those those um, the cheap uh, classics the abridged versions yeah and or maybe not abridged well I don't know it finished me anyway mm-hmm. I was done then I didn't pick up a book for years <laughs> yeah I thought, <laughs> that'll do it for that'll you that'll do right. it Dust, yeah. broken by Dostoevsky not the first <laughs> no not the first no <laughs> uh, but still still it's, uh, it's, 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 it's good stuff to have as they say in your locker yeah, and there it remained covered in dust. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier on, you know, about, well, I'm thinking of other actors I've spoken to and they talk about, I was very shy. Mm. I was very this, I was very that. And, and you know, you kind of, it, it seems like a, it seems like something they feel obliged to say about themselves because it doesn't seem, anybody who's not an actor, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense that yeah. you could be shy and end up on the stage, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in all sorts of exposed circumstances performing. So, Tell me a little bit about how you go from being someone who's, you said you didn't have many social skills or anything. And the next <laughs> Still thing you... Still don't. Next thing, well, I'll have that conversation with uh, somebody when you're gone. But, but, but how, do you, how, do you, um, how do you make that jump? Do you remember consciously making some kind of a leap and thinking, you know, I, I, I'm able for this, I can do this, you know. I might be able to do this, this and this, but this is, this is mine, I can do this. I think, I think actors can't be shy. Can't be shy. Can. Oh, can be shy. I yeah. think it's it's a really, and I think performers can be, but especially actors, because you're not, you know, how do you go up and stand in front of whatever and do that? It, it's not you doing it. Mm. That's mm. how you do it. Yeah. That's how you do it twice on a matinee day, because it's not you. And of course things flicker through, and it's versions of you. And I sort of think of acting as it being like um, a soundboard, and you're just upping one thing and you're downing another and you're creating a remix um, or, or, or some, not version of you, but it's not you. It's enough. There's enough of a distance so that you can go out there. That's why a lot of actors perhaps aren't very eloquent in real life. You know, we've been given the best words in the world and we get to speak those and people conflate it with being the real person. But I, if I have to do... Most things make me scared. Most things make me scared. And if I, had, if I have to do something that scares me, there is a bit of persona putting on. There is a mask. Mm. And there are tools. But yeah, actors can be deeply shy. I think there is an oddness that comes with actors. There's a, there's a, it's, I don't know, it's understanding group processes, even if they can't do it themselves. Mm-hmm. People understand. I mean, writers, they say, watch. Mm-hmm. Actors do that too, but they might be doing it while being uh, being on a chair, roaring and yeah. beating a saucepan with a wooden spoon. But yeah. they're still watching. They're yeah. still learning how to mimic. 
there's there's an understanding of human behaviour there, and there's a curiosity about human behaviour there, that I think is um, very childlike. Mm. Essentially, acting is playing. I think, playing like a kid would play. And and there's something magical about that. I mean, you know, we're also pain in the holes, but whatever. But it's also very useful. I mean, yeah. not everybody is lucky enough to see a magnificent performance in the theatre because they don't happen always. No. But when you do, and it does happen, then you really get it. You yeah. know, that this this person has got something going on that the rest of us just don't have. And that's that's always a great moment, isn't it? Yeah. When it, when it happens. My, my friends now with their young children... And I'd I'd be getting, you know, there I got sent a video from a friend of mine, and she was saying, "Oh no, oh no." And I opened it, and it was her son um, uh, reenacting Tom and Jerry while Tom and Jerry was on in the background, yeah. perfectly, yeah. perfectly. And she went, "Oh no," and I went, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah." I'm sorry, but it's it's An done now. An yeah. actor, you got one. There we go. Next choice. Next is choice. Smoky Rums. Ah, bit of smoky. Oh, come on. Like, yeah, lovely smoky. Tracks of My Tears, I think, is my favourite song. And not because of the lyrics. I'm not a sad clown. I was just going to ask you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I just think when it drops into that lovely do, 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 do. Oh, my God. It's just perfection. It's perfection. That's and his voice. Smoky Robinson, Tracks of My Tears. You go three minutes of, of pop perfection there from Smokey Robinson. Mm. Uh, the choice of uh, Siobhan McSweeney is with me in studio. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It's, oh, it's, 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 it's gorgeous. pure perfection. Now tell me this before we move on to your later theatrical studies. Were you by any chance taught by nuns? No. You weren't? No. Okay. Never met so, a nun in my life, so knowingly. What, 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 research, they, what, research, was, what research was done for Sister Michael? Because uh, it's uncannily, it's very accurate. Is it? <laughs> Is it? That's that's um. Well, it's slight. It's slightly, slightly uh, heightened. No, the judo, you know, might be a, an exaggeration, perhaps. Yeah. No, I I've never never or oh, wasn't taught by nuns, no interaction with them in the least. I don't know. There's something mad though, isn't there? If you had to explain nuns to the aliens, <laughs> you know, just you know, so you have a group of women. Yeah. And they just go away. <laughs> <laughs> I could compile. And then they a, come out. I could compile a list of women now, which would go away. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. So right. Okay. Well, let's get. Let's talk about this for a minute. I would imagine if I was in a in a in a, in a TV program or a play or something, mm. and I had to dress up in vestments, yeah, that I would transform immediately. When you put on the nun's habit, what did that do? Did it give you any? Oh, it did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, the habit was impossible to get on. We couldn't figure out. There were YouTube videos galore. Like, we, we didn't know how to put on the habit. Um, so there was the sort of comedy of that. Yeah, 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 literally holding it up in the makeup going, I don't know. I mean, There's an app are the for ears nowadays, showing? Yeah. Are the ears behind? But, yeah, I put on, I do put on her, her costume and I'm like, there she is. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the, 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 the walk is different. Yeah, I'm exactly like Chaplin, you know, <laughs> the transformation. No, it, it's, um, it's, the, it's costume and it feels like costume in the best possible way. And the costume, was it seriously the costume was enough to give you that character? 
I mean, obviously there's a script and there's a writer and so on. But, but when you put on that costume, did that turn you into her? I, I'll be honest with you. I think the fact she's a nun is really incidental to what I think about her. Yeah, yeah. I think she is... I mean, there... You, you know, Lee, I understand what Lisa's written. Mm. I understand a really uh, <laughs> grumpy woman mm. who is sick of it all. <laughs> And sick of the kids, mm-hmm. but also understands, also has a duty. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I've been surrounded by those those people. Do you know mm. at, at various points of like the the reluctant grown up? Yeah. And yeah. um and and Lisa, you know, I know it's a comedy, but she writes very rhythmically, and if you hit the rhythm of her lines. Then he got it. Yeah, it's like any. I mean, it's like any good writer, but it's true. If you hit the rhythm of of what is written, then you get loads of stuff for free. Mm. You suddenly realise how she's breathing, which means you suddenly realise how how her her what her posture is like. Yeah. So oh, you get that from the words. Oh, right? you, you get you get an awful lot from the words. Right. You okay. get. I mean, it's it's everything's feeding you for the for, yeah. for. I mean, again, I know it's comedy, but you know, you still have to. Still work. <laughs> oh, and I want to talk about comedy specifically mm. later on. But but when had you any other tricks? Because I'll tell you, I I remember once doing one of these public interview things with Jeremy Irons, and there was a movie he was in where he had to play two two characters, two twins. And he, how do you you know differentiate between which which one is which? Yeah. And in one, he just realised if he juttered his jaw out slightly, he had a different right. Person. That's all it took. So there there is something like that, like. Yeah. Yeah, every, I mean, everybody's process is different, but um, uh, yeah, there, there, is, there is a real sort of complicity between everything. Yeah. Everything's happening and you suddenly get the character. And yeah, I don't really, like, like most, like all parts I've played, I, I, I look at them and I'm like, I don't know, like that doesn't look like me and that's great. Right, okay. Mostly because I think they're hideous looking, but yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about comedy, right? Yes. Yeah. I th- I think I may be wrong about this. I may be totally wrong. But I don't I'm not sure that having skills as a comic actor is appreciated as much as having skills of as a tragedian or whatever the word is, you know. I mean if if you're being funny, people mm. think it's somehow easier. Yeah, they really do, don't they? Which of they? course it couldn't be. No. No, it's not easier. It um um I, I I agree with you completely. I think it's relatively easy to make somebody cry. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to make somebody laugh. Yeah. And laughing and crying are both essentially the essence of hum- humanness, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. It's out of your control. It's It's spontaneous. Oh. It's explosive. And there's a craft to making somebody laugh. Well, I... And where does the craft come in, if you know? Is that is that thing? I mean, we're talking about timing now, are we, and things like that? Yeah. I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I think it's I think it's it's timing. There's something about failure as well. I think with comedy, the um, the the uh, lack of fear mm-hmm. of failure mm-hmm. and knowing you are going to fail. Yeah, and um, there's something quite Buddhist or Zen about about that. I think. Um, I went to Paris to study with um, Philippe Gaulier. I mean, study with Philippe Gaulier. He shouted at me uh, for <laughs> for many months, and um, and that was that was just a Bacchettian exercise in failure, like. Mm-hmm. 
and and that's essentially oh god I'm going to say it. that's essentially what humanity is isn't it a series of failures yeah. until you die mm-hmm. <laughs> back to the comedy show and, the, and then the failure stops right? yeah exactly and then the show ends yeah. but but it, it it is that and you find you find the 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 timing is the gap between the failure and the success isn't it ah that's well put the timing is the gap between the failure and the success yeah yeah and you know when you're fundity there, Siobhan McSweeney. Yeah, I think we need to That's a, on a t shirt before we not. Take a break. Yeah. So the the Take a lie down. But I think I think you're right about that. I think, you know, it's the same applies to people who who, who write novels or any yeah. of the rest of it. You know, if you write a funny one, it yeah. gets kind of sort of people getting can be very sniffy about it. Really but if, sniffy. But if you write a, if you write one about dying, then everybody's all over it, yeah. you know? But like when you look at when you look at like I think you you uh, mentioned of the Friel there earlier, mm-hmm. like Friel's adaptations of um, of the Russians, particularly Chekhov, mm-hmm. are the best ones around. Mm-hmm. Everyone would sort of agree on that. But why? Because they're hilarious. Mm-hmm. Because you're you are doing that thing. I went to drama school in England, and there are English people in a room going, so they are laughing and crying at the same time. And I don't want to do the whole oh you know the Irish have an innate understanding of Chekhov. I know what laughing and crying at the same time is. <laughs> You do too. Yeah. By the end, by the end of this, you'll be doing both. Oh, we'll all be doing. <laughs> but but there, there there is. If you bring out the humour, you're bringing out humanity, which means, which means you're bringing out life. Okay. Next musical choice, oh, which is called Dan- Dancing on My Own. Dancing on My Own. <laughs> See, this is what happens when I go into my little diatribes about comedy. I end up dancing on my own. Uh, so this is by Robin, and this is it. Like th- this was a random list, but uh, the fact that it comes after Smokey, I think, is nice because this, I think, is a is another perfect uh, pop tune, and uh, it was introduced to me by a very dear friend of mine, and he introduced it as the uh, the, the stalking song, and uh, I, I, it makes me laugh. So here's the stalking song. <laughs> And that's Robin and Dancing on My Own. Siobhan McSweeney's with me in studio tonight, picking all the tracks. And we were just talking about comedy before that, uh, Siobhan. Can, and I, I want to lead into talking about your training and so on and the other types of work that you've done. But can, can comedy be taught to an actor, do you think? Because I think you can teach some other things, but I don't know about comedy, can you? I don't think you can teach timing. I think that, that old cliche is, is true. Yeah. You can't teach timing. And it's... Um, but not everybody whose timing can can be very funny. <laughs> but a lot of the work is done if you've got timing. But that's really it, isn't it? It, it, it always comes back to timing, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and funny faces and chins. 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 <laughs> no, chins. chins. No. Limps. Walks. Now, were you, were you as a... Because I'm just thinking back to how you described yourself earlier. Were you the funny kid in the class? Were you the one making them laugh and doing impressions and mock, I was trying to. mocking the teachers and all that? Kind I of wasn't stuff? mocking the teachers. I was also a very, very scared nerd. Right. So, um, I'd if I, uh, you know, I wouldn't be mocking the teachers, but I'd be trying to get them to laugh as well. Right. I w- I would try to. to Were you a mimic? No. Really? Yeah. No, no. I'd send myself up a lot. Yeah. You see, I'd have been convinced that. Sister Michael was modelled directly on, some, yeah. on someone you knew, you know? No, not directly. Mm. No, 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 no. 
not directly. It's bits and bobs from, from various people. And here's the thing, when you're making a television programme like that, it's, obviously it's very different from being on the stage and you're getting the laughs there and then. You know the people are in front of you in the audience and you can hear them and you know what's going on. Did you know that Sister Michael was as funny as she was when you're, when you're doing it? And, and if so, how do you know when you're on set and this is being shot? Um, I knew reading the scripts that it was the only part for me. I um, I knew she was hilarious. I didn't know uh, because of that gap. Um, you just never know how things are going to be received. Yeah. But I knew that that was the part. Yeah. That was definitely the part. Um, and that other people who liked comedy would know that that is definitely the part. Yeah. Um, but I had no idea that there you'd get that, that we got the reaction we did. I had really no idea that she would get the reaction that she did. Uh, as for being on set, so much of it is out of your control. A lot. I mean, we were talking about timing there. Uh, the the set. The last thing you've control over is timing. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you're relying on uh, your your editor to 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 do that 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 timing bit for you. Well, I mean, are people laughing on set? Um, there have been occasions, yeah. 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 And do you crack up as well? Um, what's lovely is that um, I try to sort of improvise around the, the character as well. Yeah. Um, so I can, not that I'm doing a Daniel Day and staying in character or anything, uh, but <laughs> that... Like you, you can. Oh, television viewers would have got the eye roll. No, that. oh my gosh, no, all hail, Mr. Lewis. Um, uh, no, no, but like I, I wouldn't be that um, uh, committed to my process as mm. he would be and stay in character the whole time. But if you're improvising around it, if somebody's yeah. laughing, then that's just ha ha. That's that's just meat, isn't it? You yeah, go straight good, for it. Then. Good to know. Yeah. So let let me find out a little bit about. Your training, mm-hmm. because I want to talk about other things. Inevitably, it happens if you're on television and your sister Michael. That's all people know, yeah. or it's, you know, it's the thing people associate you with, yeah. you know, until the next television series comes along. Mm-hmm. But actors, of course, are working all the time and mm-hmm. can be working in very big stuff, and their pals don't even know they're doing it. You know, that can happen. So, when you went to London first, tell me about that move. Um, did you did you want to go? Was it suggested to you that you go? Did somebody you know, push you there? Um, was she pushed or did she jump? <laughs> um, no, I was doing my finals in UCC and I knew of some people who had once auditioned for drama school mm-hmm. and they were spoken about in hushed tones and one of them even got a recall and we knew somebody had went to the RAD and it was, and I went, right, okay, well, I need to get this out of my system so I am going to try for a few drama schools. If I get a recall, I'm coming home triumphant and I will, I don't know what I'll do then. Um, and so during my finals, I was flying back and forth and I got offered, um, luckily I got offered a place on my first audition. Very good. And what, what, where was this by then? This is the London Central. Central of Speech and Drama, is that yeah, what that's called? Yeah, the, what, yeah. Give us the full title, the London. I think it's changed now, it's the Royal, Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. Speech and Drama, okay. Mm-hmm. And what was your audition? What did you have to do? Uh, you had to do two pieces. What pieces did you do, by the way? You know, what did you, do you remember I what you I did, res- I did, my gosh, did you, have you heard of Claire Dowie? Why is John Lennon wearing a dress? 
No. And it's um, neither had I, neither before nor since. I found it in the library in UCC and I loved it. And uh, it's this, I suppose you call it um, stand-up theatre, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And it was just this uh, long form monologue about this woman growing up. And I what did. was the classical piece then? Oh, I think I went straight for Queen Margaret or something. You know. yourself. Go big or go home. Yeah. <laughs> and when you went into that audition, because it sounds that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listen and think that sounds like really terrifying, you know. Were you, were you, were you terrified or were you going in there thinking, you know, I, I should be getting in here. I'm going to grab this. Um, because I didn't know anything about it at all. Like even when I was in dramas, even afterwards when I was there, I really didn't know what was going on either. Mm. Uh I, I sort of was quietly bemused over the whole thing. Mm. Sort of going, if I don't get this, it's because this is not for you. And then when I got it, I went, okay, this must be for me. So th- these must be my people. Mm. But I wasn't, I so, I didn't think it would happen. I just didn't think it would happen. I knew that I'd, that's, that's sort of implying that I didn't wish on every first star I saw from the age of five that I could be an mm. actor someday. I did. I really wanted it. But again, it's hard to sort of have that sort of cognitive dissonance where on the one hand, I'm like, this is what I meant to be. And on the other hand, going, this isn't for people like me. Yeah, because I'm thinking of Emer McBride's book, which yeah. you may have read, Lesser Bohemians, you know, a girl at a drama school in London. And, and that sense of being, it's not, it's not what the book's about, but there's a hint of it in there of, of you know, does someone from here belong there and not necessarily here geographically but from a certain background and yeah. so on belong in that world and Completely. can you fit into that world Completely. so did you have any kind of well chips on your shoulder or the other thing of kind of oh god you know I should you know these people are better than me or that all that kind of stuff that goes on you know I certainly didn't think you see I'm from Cork yeah, but you're in. I know you're from Cork, and we all, God knows, we mm-hmm. all know. Yeah. Okay. Did I mention but, that? But, but the other side of it is, you know, I'm, this is. I know lots of people from Ireland who've gone to England with no inferiority complex at all, but they find themselves working with people who are all Oxford and Cambridge educated folks, who have a certain kind of tone about them that starts to affect them. And they start to worry a little bit about, can I keep up with these guys, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think I was clear about the Cork thing there, John. Um, I'm talking in general terms. Yeah. No, OK. Um, I know Cork people. I, I, I didn't. And no. I love them. So. I, I, I truly didn't feel that inferiority. I, I, I didn't because um, I... I uh, I I don't know. There's no reason why you should. I, I yeah I know, but it's hard to say it without sounding arrogant, and it's not coming from a place of arrogance yeah. actually. Yeah. Um. Also, like I went to drama school later than most people. Yeah. Um. I'd already done <laughs> five years of a four-year degree. Yeah. I'd already sort of, in a way, understood who, who be, was beginning to understand who I was. Yeah. Um. I'd already done a lot of things. So by the time I got there, I was, I mean, I had really, really tough times, but it wasn't from a feeling of inferiority. It was a feeling of uh, disappointment in the difference, actually, of going, how come, uh, I'm like, 
the dress that works in Cork doesn't work in Swiss Cottage. Yeah. Or, hold on, I've searched my entire life for my tribe and they're in Selfridges buying mascara. Why, why aren't we all in squat down the road in Camden? Yeah. Um, those sort of disappointments. Yeah. 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 But I never felt inferior, no. And, and, and still don't, much to my confusion and others' confusion, <laughs> we'll more take, importantly. We'll take a break, we'll be right back. And this is Mystery Train, the Sunday night special. This is the night we get someone in to pick the music. And I'm joined tonight by the actor Siobhan McSweeney. You may know her best as uh, Sister Michael from Derry Girls. She's picking all the music tonight. And we're going to talk a bit more because she does not alone play Strange Nuns. She does other things as well. But we're going to have our next musical choice first, which is Lou Reed. Mm. Satellite of Love. Yes. Do you remember where you heard this first? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I do I do know why I've picked it. It's because I had a moment listening to it walking down the street and just thought of being, you know, you're in the you're in the studio yourself when you're listening to music, aren't you? Yeah. You're you're singing, you are Bowie, you are yeah. you are Lou at that moment. And I just had um this image and it made me giggle and it still makes me giggle of of Lou trying to be really macho and going Satellite of love and Bowie in the back going bong 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 and going no no David come on I'm trying to be really hard and cool here we'll stop with the bong bong bongs yeah grand no problem Lou Satellite of love bong I'm telling you you know the bong bong bongs are exceptional though aren't they I mean I mean again it's a, a, a wonderful song and of course all the loneliness and all that but it just makes me giggle to think of these two men displaying such different kinds of masculinity and being such wonderful friends and uh, it, it makes me giggle. I think it's, it's a very good sketch. I'll never be able to listen to it again. Right, I, thank I, you. You're well, welcome. in the same way. <laughs> Satellite's gone up to the sky. That's Lou Reed there and Satellite of Love, David Bowie on the bong. Yeah. yeah, good call. Stop it, good David. Call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're at this fancy college in London, right? Yeah. The Royal London what, School of Speech and Drama. Or That's something right. Like that. And do they really put you through the ringer in a place like that? I'd say they do. Ah, oh, the old myth. They tear you down to build you back up again. Well, it sounds like they do. Um, there's, there's a level of uh, agency you still have, though, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's permission. They give you, they give you the tools. Yeah. There, there, there were a couple of teachers that I found a bit too dogmatic, but that was my personality, and their awful personality. No, um, but essentially, you're there to 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 learn mm. and develop not only the craft but your art as well, and people can take that in a certain way. It it helped again that I was older. And the, the, the I wasn't coming straight from secondary school. Uh, it, it it helped that in a bad way. It, it it worked out well, but in a way I did take it seriously. But I also didn't take mm. it seriously. I um, I didn't believe again my natural suspicious suspicion of 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 these great gurus. Wonderful teachers we had. We had marvelous teachers. But there were teachers, they were still mortal. Mm. 
and um, you you take what you can from it and and and, and learn. But yeah. And as you get to the end of the course, yeah, and the prospect of being a working actor starts to to mm. loom. How did you feel then? Were you, did you did you did you think you might just walk into something, or did you think, God, there's nothing out there now? What am I studying this for? Uh, both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in final year, we have um, a series of shows which um, uh, agents would come and, you know, like a like a pageant, you'd mm. display your wares and hope that they pick you, pick me, pick me. And I was wonderfully given two really amazing roles, which in a class that was 50-50, men and women, was, I mean, I'm surprised... <laughs> Any of the girls were still talking to me by the end of the year, really. But I had two amazing roles and I left with no agent. And soon after that, my mother got ill and I had to go back to Cork. Right. Um, and she passed away. And then I was in Cork for a while. Yeah, so I, I didn't have a a, a normal... Uh, yeah. Um, what do they call it? Like well, beginning to your wor- working age. life. Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah. No. When your working life started then... Um, what was the first sort of, you know, moment where you you reckon you'd, if you can ever say this as an actor, a young actor, you'd, that you'd arrived on the scene, if you know what I mean, that you felt in any way confident? No, um, a friend of mine, um, Deborah Francis White, she talks about being on the cusp all the time. Mm. And she's a writer comedian. She talks about when she arrived, she was on the cusp of this and then she and then she's on the cusp of that and... And I really identify with that. So there's never a feeling of having arrived. There's a feeling of like, oh, oh, mm. and then you start again. Um, I, I never felt that. Mm. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I had loads of lovely moments and little moments of like, um, the first gig I had in the UK was at the Royal Exchange in Manchester. And uh, they had proper lights around the mirror. Ah, and it was the first show I did where I had a dresser. And little things like that, you know. It's, it's sort of, um, it's the red curtains, isn't it? It is, it is. The red velvet curtains. And what kind of, uh, what kind of work did you find yourself being drawn to? You know, to the extent that in those days you would have been able to pick and choose, I suppose. But, you know, what, what sort of work did you want to do? Let me put it that way, when you left college. When I left, I had no idea. I, I was very confused when I left drama school, I really had no idea. Our training, it's a, a marvellous, it was one of the last years of their conservatoire style training. So we had a really sort of classical training. And uh, because I'd been to university before um, and because it was very text-based, I sort of thought of myself more of as a, um, a text-based classical actress. Mm-hmm. And instead what was happening is that the English were making me run a lot and suddenly I was in rehearsal rooms and I was doing very physical things and I was really confused over it. And I was doing a show one time um, uh, at, the, at the National on the Olivier and has a huge cast and there were a couple of members of Complicity in the show and I remember Johannes go, hey you, come here, come here. And he sent me off to uh, Clive Mendes who's... Um, um, original Complicity member who teaches clowning and he said go up there now to North London and do that course for a week and by the end of the course Clive was like okay you're going to Paris these are the dates you need to 
this is sort of where where you live. And being Irish as well, I was told a lot of things of what I was. When you go to England, you're told what you are. Right. Um, what were they telling you? you they were, were telling me that I was out of a Yeats poem and they were really confused because I am not out of a Yeats poem. <laughs> I am out of no poem, you know. Uh, they were really confused. They were expecting some, bu- you know, some one pale... Redhead. Redhead, um, Maud gone, uh, wild, a wild, the wild Irish Colleen. Yeah, Adam O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've just yeah. described yeah, Adam O'Brien. Yeah, I have, haven't I? And if my call continues, I sort of have the voice, don't I? But that's <laughs> no. Um, so Paris then. So Paris, off to Paris with me. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. It was very hot. Yeah. And um, no, but it it, it was so, what they saw was something that I didn't see for ages, which was that actually um, I I innately understand. I may not be good at it, but I am drawn more to physical stuff than text stuff or, or I like it more so what was what was the what was the place in Paris then where you went what was that called uh, I, uh, Philippe Gaulier yeah King Clown yeah um, no King Clown all that stuff mm. what you know what does that what does that mean because I mean when, when you grow up in Ireland the clown is what you find in the circus yeah you know and yet in, in France you know it's a whole it's a different thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so what kind of stuff were you being taught there I'm still learning, actually. Yeah. I'm still fi- discovering what he what he was teaching me. Um, essentially, you go into a room in what used to be an old phone exchange, telecom exchange, with no aircon, and you'd put on a red nose, and your clown would have a costume, and you'd put on the costume, and you'd try to stay on stage for as long as possible before he banged a drum, and then insult you for twenty minutes. And that was it. Okay. For weeks, day in, day out. Well, was, marvelous. I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> was that a good thing? Yeah. It was marvelous. I cried every night, every single night, and um, and it was the best thing I've ever done. Yeah, I know it sounds weird. It sounds really weird. It's hard to explain. I'm sure it isn't hard for other people to explain. I find it hard to explain. Basically, he. It's about failure. It's mm. about embracing the fact you're going to fail. And well, I see. I don't entirely understand the notion of failure when you're talking about a performance. About the laugh. Yeah, but a performance on the stage where you know you're going to go out and you're going, you have to try and get it right. Don't ah, you? I see what you mean. Um, well, the performance on the stage is what you've done. Is is you've prepared that to a certain extent. Now mm. you're waiting for the icing on top, which is the audience. Yeah. But to discover that, to discover the show beforehand, you need to. Fail. Fail. Do all the bad shows first. Yeah, yeah, I get you. And after that, after doing all that, where did you where did you feel you were? Because as you said, that that was not your plan at all. You weren't intending to do that classical actress. You know, that's what you wanted to do. So did you did you have to kind of unstitch that in some way and come back and do something else? Or because yeah, you know, you did work with the RSC and all Mm -hmm. the rest of it. Yeah, I did, and you know, and a a lot, you know, and I've. Any any teaching, it all feeds the same thing. Mm. It just made me better. Right. It just um, it, it 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 made me better. It gave me a new vocabulary. That so it was another language I could speak. And that's in Sister Michael as well. I think so. Yeah. 
You see, it's not as easy as it looks just to put on a habit and look stern. There's a lot more to it. Yeah, there isn't really. It's just <laughs> Next choice. Next oh, yes, musical music. choice. Yes, music. That's why we're here. Sorry. Uh, Molly Drake. Ah, lovely. Yeah. Now, tell us tell us about Molly Drake, because again, there's the acting connection there too. You know that one? No. Gabriella Drake is her daughter. Oh, yes. And she, Gabrielle Drake or Gabriella Drake. I, don't know, I never know how to pronounce her name, but she was always on telly when I was a kid. Right. And, and the... And the the son was Nick Drake. Yeah. yeah. The particular song is Poor Mum and I, I like it. I like it for a trillion reasons, but primarily that whole thing of um, what I find interesting at the moment, we seem to be shifting the camera. Mm-hmm. So we have Poor Boy and we've listened to Poor Boy and we've fallen in love with that poor boy and we, we understand, we mourn him and all that. And what I love is that if you just move the camera yeah. just behind him, you have poor mum, which is a response to poor boy. And I mean, I, I was telling you, I don't really listen to lyrics that much, but the lyrics of this are, um, are, are extraordinary and in their simplicity, really. And in their, you know, I dedicate it to my own mum. I dedicate it to all those women, definitely women, where you, you pack away your yearning um, to, yeah. to, to take out the toys, you know. Molly Drake, per mum. Ah, beautiful song there, Siobhan. Per mum, Molly Drake. And we were just saying there, and I wonder if people listening had the same thought. If you didn't know that was Nick Drake's mother mm. and you were asked the question, whose mother is this? Yeah. You yeah. might work it out pretty yeah. quickly, actually, because you can, you, can, you can hear Nick Drake in that. You can. And you can see, like, the album covers... Um, you can see her in the background, can't you? Yeah. I can see the room. Yeah. I yeah. can really, really see the room. It's a version of England that yeah. actually does exist. And it's a, it, yes, absolutely does exist. It's so bizarre. And, uh, yeah. But also the way she, she at the end goes, Mom, um, just makes me think of how I used to go, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> Will you start now, what, just in the light of what you just said there about poor boy and all of that, when you started acting, and you must have started to think then, because you're very conscious of these things, parts for women, all the rest of it, the parts you were being offered, the parts you were being turned down for, all that kind of stuff. Did that become uh, a big, not a problem, but it become a big preoccupation for you? Yeah. I have been and remain to be incredibly frustrated by... Um, parts but also fundamentally because of representation not because not in the sort of political sense of representation although that too mm. but in that if we're going it's an art form that acting is to portray every kind of life out there and i would read breakdowns and go i don't uh, i I, I'm not, I can't see myself playing this person. How come, um, how come a woman can only be these certain things? Mm. And I think there has been great strides um, done recently enough. I only hope that the momentum keeps going and the inevitable backlash doesn't happen. The, the sort of box ticking mm-hmm. of like, well, we tried that now, isn't that enough? Yeah, back to normal service. Yeah, we yeah. we have a female Doctor Who. We, yeah. we don't have to do anything what else, else do now, do we? Do we? 
<laughs> but it's it's the whole idea we're we're missing out on stories. Yeah. We're mi- and we're missing we're we're it's we're not painting with the full palette here. I can't imagine there's many writers left worth their salt who would do that. <laughs> full stop. Would no. do that. <laughs> would do that anymore because lots of great writers are also guilty of that over the years. Oh, well, completely. You know? But like but like art and commerce, isn't it? What do you what do you write? Uh, you you write what's going to sell as well. Mm-hmm. You write um, what what will be put on, and if the vo you know the fashion is for such and such a thing, you want as a writer you want to get your stuff played and put on. So you're going to to write for that too. I think like with everything, the the fault lies with the money men, mm. um, and the fault lies in the system because you have time and time again it's been proven that oh gosh oh, I'm sort of bored of having this conversation away you know of, of the, the, the female ghostbusters and that broke all box offices so it's 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 even obeying the capitalist rule yeah yeah I mean and I'm a bit like what more do we bloody well have to do and and again I think just on a fundamental level it seems really weird that I should look for people like me there was no I can't think of anybody growing up that I could, as an actor, uh, and go, um, I see myself. You know, I could never really sort of go, oh, well, she'll definitely fit it. You know, oh, well, I'm obviously Helena Bone Carter with a Cork accent. I mean, I am, but I'm so many other things. Um, but, you know, there was no type you could latch yeah. into. Yeah. And that that wasn't decades that, older. Is that still the case? I think so. I, I went for I went for uh, a, a casting. I won't mention names. Uh, BBC and it was for a comedy. This was years ago, and I went in and I read. It was for a well-known comedy, very successful comedy, male-led comedy. And at the end, I didn't get it. It was to be the girlfriend of one of the lads, and the feedback was, she was the funniest person in the room. Can't have that. But we'll always go for the pretty girl, oh. which made me roar with laughter because I'm so gorgeous. <laughs> I didn't know what they were talking about, but it also made me roar with laughter and like, OK, well, you know, I did my job. I did my job. Mm. Um, but I, th- that is changing now. And I th- and I think because of people like Lisa McGee mm-hmm. and Liz Lewin, the producer, and of, because of Hattrick and because of like of putting on programmes like like Dairy Girls. If anybody hasn't seen Derry Girls, you know, and we've been going on about it a bit here, but the reason I'm going on about it is I, I love it. I think it's wonderful. And I binge watched it again recently. And it's not just because of Sister Michael, although clearly Sister Michael is the main attraction <laughs> in, in, in the whole thing. But, you know, the other girls in it are brilliant as yeah, well. Yeah, they're it's marvelous. It's spot on. Spot it's on. really funny. Yeah. It's, all, it's, it's, it's real, but it's also bonkers at the same time, which is hard to achieve. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, it's not uh, unreal. Yeah. And, uh, you know... Kamal from oh, Bally Buffet has got to be the greatest scene. The unsung hero the of greatest, the times. The greatest scene in comedy ever. <laughs> which, alas, you weren't in. I know. In spite of that, it was still funny. Even Imagine. So. Even so. Upstage by Kamal. Let's <laughs> say they got detention that <laughs> So, um, okay, so your next musical choice is David Bowie, Where Are We Now? And, uh, well. Yeah. Do you remember when that dropped, as they say? Yeah. I remember um, uh, being on the top uh, top deck of the bus and I had my earphones in 
and I downloaded it and I was listening and I was like, this, what is wrong with this? And I had my phone and I was pushing up to high and I was like, I can barely hear it. I can barely, barely hear it. And um, I was getting really annoyed. I was in the front, you know, the, the, where you can drive. <laughs> so you can pretend you're driving the bus. <laughs> We've all done that. Yeah, yeah, continue to do it. I was like, oh, I can't hear it all. And um, I remember just like concentrating so much and being really cross with everybody around me because there was so much noise and trying to hear it. And it turned out I had my, my earphones weren't plugged in and I was just blasting this loudly to the to, to the, the bus. To the people of London. To the people of London. And they were not as grateful as they should have been. No, I, I and I remember seeing the video for this. The voice, his voice at the time just shook me to my core. Where are we now? David Bowie, the choice of Siobhan McSweeney, who's with me in studio tonight picking the tracks. It is a, it's a great song. Very, oh, very moving. So moving. So moving. It's like he's um, playing for us. I was saying, like, you know, with all great, truly great artists, whatever... St- like, when I heard this, I was... I was looking at my end, you know, I, I was going through what he's going through, what maybe we place on what he's going through, but certainly what we think that song would have been about before we knew everything around it. Well, it's all, you know, most, you know, when you write, when you talk to an artist of what a real artist, you know, real, the real good ones, you know, mm-hmm. they all talk about connection as well, yeah. what, what it's about, you know, yeah. ultimately what it's about is connecting. Communion. Yeah. Ab- yes, Absolutely. And Bowie made that connection with people from the minute he appeared. Everybody feels they know Bowie. Yeah, if you're in that, if you're in that swim, yeah. that is. Yeah, there's probably people listening who weren't part of that world. Yeah. I don't know. But Screaming at the radio, going, "It's Bowie." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't even know his name. Um, <laughs> but it's true, though. It's um, it's about connection, isn't it? It it really is. They're 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 doing this shamanic thing, you know. It's it's the it's the shadows on the cave, isn't it? It's 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 being the conduit to well, I mean, you've done Shakespeare, <laughs> and that's that's uh, that. it's old stuff. Yeah, he wrote it all with a feather, and there it is. You know, it's still it's still around, and it it's is. only still around because the connection was made. Do you know, it, it wouldn't have survived this long if it no. hadn't connected with people. No, what's it like Irish woman performing Shakespeare in uh, in England? Um, you see, Shakespeare is their big god. And I, I have never, gosh, look how much I'm stuttering. I've never really enjoyed a production of Shakespeare. <laughs> um, and that's, uh, I feel I'm safe here because I'm, <laughs> there's, there's a bit of water between me. Yeah. But when I go back, they might know. Um, well, do you know something? The best production of Shakespeare I've ever seen have been by Irish companies. yeah. Yeah, I can follow the language. Mm-hmm. It suits. It's not. It doesn't seem anywhere anywhere near as alien as it does when the when yeah. the, the English do it. You know? It's the it, well. That's it. Look at the words you use there now. Alien, and you can follow it, and all this stuff. It's it again. It's got. It goes back again to my suspicion of deification. And Shakespeare is held in such high regard, and any old bit of his is held up and printed on a tea towel. Mm-hmm. Any old quote, and there's no. How do you listen anymore? How how do you listen to the words anymore when you've when you've coated them and gi- when you've gilded them when you've when you've bought something from the souvenir shop? I just find that connection mm-hmm. is very hard to get. Mm-hmm. 
And but that's why I think the Irish companies, when they do it, exactly. it's in a different accent, a yeah. different tone, different mm-hmm. speed, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Now, when you worked with the RSC, it was Ben Johnson. It was, yeah, the alchemist. Yeah, and how was that? Is it, is it intimidating to be in England, in the heart of the heart of the heart of the Shakespearean thing, and go out on that stage? Is that any different from any other stage? Um, it did feel different, absolutely. Um, it wasn't intimidation, I felt. If I can be frank, it was around the time of the Brexit vote. Mm-hmm. And I was there when the referendum results came in. And it certainly wasn't intimidation that I felt mm. going out on that stage. You felt things had changed. I felt a great disappointment. Uh-huh. Great anger. I felt a blind complacency from the audience. I... What do you mean by that? A blind complacency from the audience? Complacency about what? The results. I couldn't... I couldn't sort of separate the results from... Yeah. ...what we were doing. And also Shakespeare, as well as being their god, there are certain class issues when it comes to Shakespeare. Um, You have... Uh, you know, for simplicity's sake, you have servants who have regional accents. Mm-hmm. You have uh, your lords and ladies who have RP. It's got to do with accents. It's got to do with class. And always there are clowns. Always there are clowns. But they, they uh, yeah, they're grave diggers and so on. There are, yeah. I don't know. I think... I think Shakespeare can be the best and the worst of Middle England, really. No, it's interesting to hear that because you, normally there's an unqualified Shakespeare is the business and that's the mm. end of it. Yeah, you know, I know. I'm awkward that. that way. I, it's, uh, I, I, I felt, I felt a, I felt that more can always be done in certain areas. So, your next musical choice is... It's worse, what are we? Sultan's a ping. Two pints of Raza. Okay, right, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Here we come. Sultan's a ping. Kate LeBon, are you with me now? Before that, Sultan's a ping. Where are they? Where are they? Where's Sultan's a ping from? <laughs> <laughs> they're, not, they're not from Cork, are they? <laughs> Um, yes. Another another Sh- contractual obligation Siobhan there McSweeney. now. <laughs> you're McSweeney. You're really a Donegal woman, aren't you? You must be with the name of McSweeney. Uh, yeah, it must be. Yeah. yeah. Or Scottish, I suppose. Uh, you're Donegal. I remember my mum and dad having a fight when I was younger. And I say this that as an example of how you can only have this in Ireland, you know. And uh, my dad was giving out to my mum about something. And uh, my mum, I was sort of eavesdropping. And... Uh, uh, my mum's maiden name was O'Neill. Yeah. And I, she, he was going, blah, 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 blah. I just know what they were arguing about, something small. And she just went, after a silence, she went, you be quiet. Your people served my people. Wow. And I went, only in Ireland can you get that. That goes back a bit, doesn't and it? And I wished him. <laughs> he, was, he was done after that. That goes back a, a bit, A gallowed lass coming over for, for O'Neill's army. Dear God. Only in Ireland would you get that. Forget nothing. Forget nothing, carry it. (laughs) You went straight to London to study and you stayed there in a sense. You know, you've lived there for a long time, Mm -hmm. which means that we've quite rarely seen you on the stage. Here I saw in Kevin Barry's play and you were in the Katie Roach play in the Abbey and so on. 
and I'm sure there have been others, but the point is you wouldn't be as well known as an actor on the Dublin stage. No. As other Irish actors are. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I am um, trained in London, um, lived up in Manchester for a while, actually, um, but have more or less stayed in London for, for quite a while now. And my my gang is in London, my, my work. Mm. If not in London, is is London, comes from London quite often. Um, yeah, so I bypassed I bypassed Ireland completely. Really, I, I I've you know n- not only Derry's, but I've I've worked a lot in 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 the north more than any other part of the island. Why is that? BBC commissions uh, or BBC, that sort I of thing? Suppose, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah stuff like now that. you talked earlier when you're with the RSC about having a certain sort of sense of what's the word frisson with uh, Shakespeare and Middle England and all the rest of it. Now you're, you're living in London, you're still there and you've got Brexit looming. I know. Um, we had Eliza Carthy sitting here some months ago and she broke down in tears I talking know. about Brexit. I know. Um, English woman. You well, know, pure English. Absolutely. But, you know, as <laughs> not English in the Jacob Rees-Mogg sense no. of the word, by any means. Not of uh, ages. Yeah. So, you know, are you thinking about London as a, as a, you know, are you thinking about mm. you thinking about leaving it? Oh, should we all have our lifeboats packed? Yeah. I don't know. It's awful. It's 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 just, God, it's just awful. London for me though has always been this bastion of itself. Mm. Uh, I don't see it as England. People who live there don't even see it as yeah. <laughs> as England. Um, it has more a connection with Europe than any other place on these islands, actually. Mm. Um, but Brexit is, um, as we all know, is a bloody disaster. And I suppose we don't even know what we don't know yet. Mm. Um, there's something wrong with the world at the moment. The pendulum has swung the other way. Do we just hide under the table until it starts swinging back again? There is something wrong. It's it's a perfect storm of everything. I think fundamentally what's what is missing if I can be so bold to prescribe, but um, it is their educational system. There is a huge problem with their educational system there. They they don't teach them their history. And I think the UK and England in particular has, if you think of like countries of, as having like a person, their own individual psychology, I think sometimes think of England as being a person with incredibly low self-esteem who has been continuously told that they're bad and they don't know why and have, as a result, developed this this empty arrogance <laughs> because they they know the jokes. They know that they're the butt of um, a lot of empire and colonial jokes, yeah, but, I mean, but no, they don't not... know about it. So mm. as a result, I remember going over and having people really emphatically explained to me how important it was that they had an English passport because if anything was to happen to them while abroad, the English passport was the best one to have. And I was like, are you out of your minds? You're, you're dead. You're, you're shot first. And it, they, they didn't understand that. They don't understand. And if you don't, I mean, it's the whole thing, if you don't understand your history. I mean, then you have this country that perhaps should let go of their flipping history. A bit. You know, but, but especially England, it's not being taught. So they don't understand it. People at the top of their game have asked me why I need a passport. I, yeah, I could I could tell you people who should not be, who can't figure out whether I'm from 
the north or the south, this uh, made up land of the south. It, they don't understand it. And this is coming then from from this this emptiness or something. Next choice. Foreign slippers. Foreign slippers. Where did foreign slippers come from? I won't buy. Tell me about this. OK, well, I wanted to pick a Tom Petty track because right. Tom Petty is one of my first loves. And uh, Foreign Slippers is a, uh, a singer called Gabby Froden from Sweden. And it's a version of the Tom Petty song uh, that just to me only proves how great a person Tom Petty was, weirdly, because it's a beautiful, um, beautiful version. And it's it's uh, very soft and it's just as resilient. It's a different way of being resilient. And that version of I Won't Back Down uh, from Foreign Slippers, the choice of uh, Siobhan McSweeney, who's with me in studio. We've time for one more track, but be, be, before you go, can you tell us anything about what's going on in your uh, professional life at the moment? What do you do? What do you, what do you do next? What's next for you, Siobhan? What's next for me? Um, well, I've just finished the second series of Dairy Girls. So there's another series. Mm-hmm, okay. There is indeed. Um, and. That went very well. Hopefully that will, will go well. You haven't uh, been promoted. You haven't been made bishop or anything. <laughs> um, I'm actually now the Pope. Oh, very good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> things, things went I'd, wrong on a school trip and I'm now the Pope. I would stand in line to watch that film. <laughs> I really would. Yeah. Um, uh, if there could be a female Doctor Who, come yeah, on. Yeah, uh, that's the logical step. Uh, and uh, uh, as we, uh, I'm, I'm writing a few things. Um, I'm devising a theatre show and I've started writing a short film, which is um, as uh, predictable and as much fun as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I've sharpened you've pencils. That, you've sold that really well. Yeah. Can I well, just advise you, if you have to go to Hollywood, sit down in front of people <laughs> to look for money, just give it a bit more Give pizzazz. it a bit more. I'll yeah. open with the fact that I'm the Pope. Yeah, <laughs> Siobhan, thanks a million for coming in. I enjoy talking to you. As the man says, I I actually do love your work. (laughs) And uh, you're going to finish with what? With, I mean, another first love, uh, R.E.M. R.E.M. was the sort of first doorway into something beyond Arhala. Siobhan McSweeney, thanks a million. You've been listening to a podcast of Mystery Train with John Kelly. Mystery Train hits the rails every Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on 96 to 99 RTE Lyric FM.